The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily's The Sidebar, celebrating 50 episodes of taking you inside the courtrooms of high profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. I'm a criminal defense lawyer based here in Los Angeles and previously an L.A. County prosecutor for nearly a decade. You can find me at joshuaritter.com. We are recording this on Friday, December 16th, 2022. In this week's episode, continuing fallout from the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX with the recent arrest and unsealed federal indictment of the company's founder. Plus a hip hop star's emotional testimony in an assault case unfolding in Los Angeles, as well as breaking news in the bench trial of a self-proclaimed midwife facing charges for the death of a newborn. And finally, the conviction of Aaron Dean, a police officer charged with the 2019 shooting that tragically took the life of Tatiana Jefferson. Today, we are joined by former prosecutor who has made his way into television. You may know him from Court TV. Please welcome Emmy award-winning legal journalist, Vinny Politan. Welcome back, Vinny, and thank you so much for joining us on the 50th episode of The Sidebar. Yeah, this is pretty special to be invited for the big 5-0. This is a big deal, so I I feel good. Thanks so much for having me. No, we're, we're, we're so grateful to have you. And it, it is pretty amazing that we're at 50 episodes now. Uh, for listeners who uh, missed the last time that you were on, please tell us a little bit about your background and the current work that you do today. All right. So um, I was I was born. No, I'm not going to go back that far. <laughs> but I was a lawyer, right? I was a prosecutor. Uh, then I went into the private practice. And then I came back to my first love, which was television. And I ended up at Court TV. And it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing to be first as a correspondent traveling around the country, covering the nation's biggest trials, then as an anchor, 
uh, as well. So uh, now I'm the lead anchor at Core TV. I've been there so many years. And, uh, you know, every day uh, from 8 to 10 on Core TV, I take a look at the biggest trials, biggest legal stories, biggest investigations across the country. So um, it, it's awesome. You know, I, I liked being a lawyer, but when I was in the private practice, I was doing civil litigation. And man, it was about, <laughs> you know, you get evaluated by how many hours you bill. And I was like, that, no, I, that's not going to be my life's work. So uh, I love the criminal law, especially, and and uh, I get to talk about it every single night. Uh, well, I am a regular viewer of you, and I always appreciate your insights, and that's why we are so excited uh, to hear your thoughts on these cases. So let's jump right into it. A lot to cover. Uh, first, we go to the Bahamas, where following the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX, founder Sam Bankman-Fried has been arrested in the Bahamas on criminal charges in addition to a pending SEC lawsuit. Bankman Freed, also known as SBF, has been accused of diverting customer funds from the crypto exchange to bankroll his hedge fund Alameda Research to the tune of, get this, $7 billion in what prosecutors have called one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. During a congressional hearing, the new CEO of FTX, John J. Ray III, testified Tuesday about the absurdity of the fraud scream. Scheme, pardon me. Ray, who oversaw the Enron bankruptcy in the early 2000s, described the Enron fraud as having been executed with, by sophisticated people who worked to keep transactions secret. In contrast, Ray described the FTX in different terms, saying, This is really old fashioned embezzlement. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Not sophisticated at all. Further, the SEC has alleged SBF used FTX and Alameda Research as his personal piggy bank, making loans to himself and others, including over $1.3 billion in loans from 2020 to 2022. According to SEC Chairman Gary Gensler, SBF built a house of cards on a foundation of deception while telling investors that it was one of the safest buildings in crypto. Uh, Vinny, SBF is set, was set to testify in Congress the day after his arrest. This timing means something. The, the, what do you make of the, the idea that they arrest him the day he was supposed to testify in front of a Congress? Yeah, there, there's a, a lot to, to get to with this guy and, and what he did. And the, that description um, that you that you talked about there is, is very significant because this isn't uh, it doesn't appear to me to be some sophisticated operation here. It's like somehow, some way, through his dopey hairdo and all those <laughs> and all those political donations, he was able to pass himself off as some sort of you know uh, amazing young future Warren Buffett or whatever he, he was supposed to be, and people just trusted him. No, no one really took a close look at what he was doing. Um, so I don't think this is going to be a tough case uh, necessarily to prove. Um, they, they, they grabbed him. I think there was a lot of public pressure to grab him because everyone looked at this and said, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why isn't anything happening? And then something happened very quickly, but not after he spoke. I mean, he was giving media interviews. Yeah. He was very casual about the whole thing. Um, and and I, I don't know him, but this is completely bizarre completely bizarre the way he has acted and reacted to what has happened here. And I think at the end of the day, I think the feds are going to have a pretty easy case to prove. 
Yeah, I agree with you. It seems as though everyone was just swept along with this idea that, hey, you may not understand crypto, but it's going to make you a millionaire and just believe in me. And like you said, I'm the I'm the wild haired genius and you don't really need to look behind the curtain. Um, and it's amazing because as they continue to dive through all this stuff, one of the things that came out in the congressional hearing the other day was that there aren't documents, there aren't records. They were doing things over uh, Slack, which is a just kind of a chat app that they talk to each other about how to you know take part in these billions billion dollar corporation and all of its transactions. Um, they were doing their accounting over QuickBooks. I mean, it's absolutely laughable how they were running this company. And nobody seemed to ask any questions until uh, they started to declare bankruptcy. But I want to get back to that point um, uh, that we talked about how you're right. He he was talking to anybody who had a camera in front of them uh, and talking anything and everything about all of this, including agreeing to go in front of Congress and testify. And yet the the AUSA, instead of letting him put that testimony on, the AUSA steps in early and arrests him. Do you think there was a strategy behind that and not allowing him to testify? Do you think they thought that somehow it would cause trouble for their case? I don't know how it causes trouble necessarily unless they unless there's some allegation that they're working together and they've already decided that they're going to arrest them. But if he's speaking freely, speaking freely, usually it's a prosecutor, right? You want someone to talk as much as possible especially in a case like this, the more he talks, the digger the hole, the bigger the hole that he's digging is getting. Um, so I, you know, I'm not quite sure on, on, on the timing on, on why they did it. And if there was any sort of communication back and forth, uh, but based upon the simplicity of the case and the simplicity of the way he ran the company, um, I think makes this a, a much more simple case to try, despite the fact that we're talking about billions and billions of dollars. You know, there's there are some other layers to all of this, though. Uh, you mentioned the bankruptcy. To me, this is going to be another fascinating part of this is in a bankruptcy. There's creditors who, who are owed money and there's people who have ill gotten gains, which is the money yeah. that SBF um, was giving away. And that ended up in the hands of politicians and political yeah. parties. <laughs> yeah. Right. They need to they need to be given that money yeah. back. Millions of dollars. Yeah. And they all have said, oh, I'm going to I already donated it to a charity. Wasn't your money to donate to a charity. You owe that money back to the creditors. So this is going to get ugly. And and the reason um, I'm very familiar with this is not because I practice this kind of law, but because I'm a New York Mets fan. And when Bernie Madoff went down, the owner of the Mets went down and had to pay back hundreds <laughs> of millions and we couldn't sign any free agents. And it was all it was it's, it's the same thing. So these politicians are going to have to dig up and, and imagine trying to pry tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars from politicians. Wow, that's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> I agree with you. And I agree with you. This is the the, the repercussions from this are going to last for for months, if not years, as this continues to unravel, not to mention uh, the effect it's going to just have on the cryptocurrency um, industry altogether. I mean, to have it and it shouldn't because the crypto industry was created to prevent things like this. And this guy was trying to do it a different way. And and my understanding is like the the real crypto people stayed away from this guy. They had nothing to do with them. So. For I think pop culture and for the headlines that you're going to see on 
on the the nightly news and and, and news, you know, whatever. They are going to scare people away from crypto, but this is the reason that crypto was actually created. So uh, we'll see what happens, though. Yeah, yeah, we will see what happens. Blew up like everything else; it blew up. (laughs) We'll continue to watch it closely, though. Okay, let's change gears dramatically for a second and move to Los Angeles, California, where Megan the Stallion, born Megan Pete, took the stand to testify in her assault trial against Canadian hip hop star Tory Lanez. Megan accused Lane's legal name Daystar Peterson of firing a weapon at her in an argument following a 2020 Hollywood Hills party, which left Megan with bullet fragments in her feet. In her emotional testimony, Megan detailed the psychological side effects she suffered as a result of the alleged shooting, as well as the ensuing public scrutiny. The incident has become notorious in hip hop circles, with Lane's releasing an entire album denying the shooting and Drake alleging Megan lied about the incident on the recent track Circo Loco. Lane's faces charges of assault with a firearm, illegal weapons possession and negligent discharge of a gun and faces over 22 years in prison if convicted. All right, Vinny, in your testimony, Megan conveyed regret at coming forward with the charges due to the following media coverage and psychological effects. However, at the same time, she had posted about this on social media and had even given interviews. We see this a lot in several celebrity cases where they, they seem to have no trouble talking to anybody and everybody who listen beforehand, but then they 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 don't want to testify or are reluctant to be involved in the case. Do you think this could backfire on her in this case, in your opinion? She's got bullet fragments in her feet. So (laughs) to me, that's, that's, that's a, that's a big part of this, right? She actually did stuff. Like if someone was shot at and they missed and then, oh, well, did she, or did she not? Um, She's got bullet fragments in her, in her feet. So I think that will help her credibility to a certain extent. You've got to explain why you did certain things, why you said certain things, but they live in this strange world of, of you know, I, I don't understand how these millionaires, right? Millionaires, lots and lots of money and fame and, and, and privilege end up doing stupid things like this. And I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. They were at a party at the Kardashians, for goodness sake, right? Yeah. You're leaving yeah. a party in the Hollywood Hills with the Kardashians. You're a celeb. They're a celeb. We're all celebs. We sell millions and millions of well, we sell records, downloads, whatever. But we're making tons of money. All you have to do is don't commit a crime and you have a great <laughs> life. And for whatever reason, some people can't stay away from it. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think part of what happens is that because of the celebrity and the and the trash talking and the notoriety and the drama that you want to bring along with it, because it does help your career, the drama helps because everyone's talking about you. I think they they lose perspective on, on, hey, you can't pull out a gun and shoot at someone and tell them, dance, dance. I mean, it, real life doesn't work that way, especially when you're a millionaire, it shouldn't. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yep. But I think I think she's going to do OK. I think Megan V will survive all of this because of those fragments in her foot. You know, you make such a good point about how ridiculous this all is that we're talking about millionaires. It was a bunch of millionaires partying with each other. And 
after a millionaire's party, somebody pulls a gun and, and, and something out of a bad Western tells them to dance and ends up shooting at their feet. You're right. You're right. When you spell it out the way that you just did, it sounds so ridiculous. But getting to the, the dynamics of the trial itself, one question that's always asked is, do you think this is a good case for the defendant to testify? Do you think this is a case where he needs to testify because it's really her word against his and without his statement somehow getting in front of those jurors that they just might convict him because like you said she's got fragments in her feet what else do they have yeah i think the jury's going to need an explanation got to yeah. testify got to tell your story um the, the you know reasonable doubt i was you know i always tell defense attorneys well you, i know you're a defense attorney but i tell them on my show i say you guys have the easiest job in the world you don't have to <laughs> you, number one you don't have to prove anything and if you are going to like put forth some evidence it's just like just just enough just to raise a little reasonable doubt. Well, as prosecutors, which you were for a decade, you know, you got to lug into the courtroom and you've got to, you know, you've got to prove it beyond any and all. And that is such a high burden. So if you get in and get into two people giving two different versions of what happens, I think there's a good opportunity there to raise a doubt because someone say, well, well, I don't wholly believe, but maybe I do. And then that's enough. That's enough. Give some reasonable explanation for what happened, some reasonable alternative, because she's got fragments in her foot. So maybe you saw how that happened and it wasn't because you were shooting the gun. And that's absolutely an argument you can make at that point is that if the evidence leads you to two reasonable conclusions, you're going to have to, the law instructs you, have to go with the one that favors the defendant. So maybe you're right. Maybe this is one of those rare cases where it's a good idea for him to take the stand. So that's that's continuing to be on trial here in Los Angeles, and we will continue to watch it. Let's turn to Omaha, Nebraska, where, as I said earlier, we are recording this on Friday, December 16th, and just Earlier today, Angela Angie Hawk was found not guilty after opting for a bench trial for charges of child abuse resulting in death. Hawk allegedly tried to deliver a breech baby in June of 2019, but was unable to turn the baby around, which prompted the response of paramedics. The child was eventually born inside the ambulance without a pulse and died tragically two days later. The state of Nebraska requires a certified nurse or midwife to deliver infants in either a certified healthcare facility, public health agency, or the office of a licensed practitioner. Angel Hawk is not a licensed midwife in the state of Nebraska and reportedly does not have any nurse or medical training. Hawk's defense argued that the baby died of complications from childbirth and not because of Hawk's actions. Childbirth is dangerous, they argued, no matter where it takes place. This was from defense lawyer Keith Dornan in his closing arguments Thursday. In their closing argument, the prosecution argued a good midwife would not act like she can handle a breach delivery and spend two to three minutes talking to a young, vulnerable mother to make that kind of life or death decision. In his ruling, Judge Timothy Burns described the event as tragic, saying that everyone involved in this case acted in their the best of their abilities to save the child, concluding that the state had not proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Angela Hawk had acted criminally and found her not guilty. Vinny, jump right in. Was this a surprising verdict to you? Well, let's start here. The defendant said, I don't want a jury. I want the judge to make the decision. Yeah. When do defense attorneys want judges to make decisions? When they kind of get a vibe from maybe some of the pretrial litigation about how the judge sees the case 
and the type of case that it is. Um, so I wasn't shocked at all because, you know, I don't I don't know the judge. I don't know the litigants. I don't know where everything that happened in, in leading up to the trial. But I do know from my experience in the courtroom um, that everyone knows to a certain extent how judges see, see things. And um, by choosing to have the judge make the decision, uh, I, I, I'm not surprised the judge came back not guilty. I've seen more not guilties from bench trials than uh, in a percentage uh, wise than from jury trials. And that's because it, I'm not saying the fix is in. It's just as an attorney, defense attorney, you, you, you know how the judge is ruling. You know how the judge sees the evidence in the case. And the, and the deciding factor here really was the fact that the parents of the child that lost her life, little baby Vera, um, they didn't want the midwife yeah. prosecuted. So, well, she's not a midwife. She's she's sort of a midwife, but she she professes to not be licensed because you don't have to be and right. all of that. Um, but if the parents weren't upset, then, you know, why are we here, right? And right. obviously I know that it's not the parents' choice. It's up to the prosecutor. But once the testimony comes out the way it did, um, I wasn't shocked. Although anytime you hear not guilty in a criminal courtroom, we all should be a little bit surprised. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I, I I think, I, I, and I also agree with you that I think that really this case, not that it was decided at the, at the time that they chose to have a bench trial, but it really did kind of begin to tip the scales. And you're right, perhaps that was the defense attorneys just knowing this judge well enough and knowing by luck of the draw, they got a judge that they, this would be wise to take a bench trial with. But I also think it had, and you mentioned this, to do with the type of case. This is such a tragedy and it's so sad and it's so awful. And it's something that everyone wanted to see, uh, wanted to prevent it from happening, that you have to imagine that jurors could be very kind of blinded by their own emotions and they might not be listening to the facts and how do the facts apply to the elements of the law in the same way that a judge would. And then in the same way that a judge who has heard many disturbing cases before would be able to kind of separate himself and just apply the facts and evidence to the law, which the judge uh, did here. So agree or disagree with this verdict. The judge was very um, clear in his ruling that he based this upon upon the evidence and just felt that it did not reach the burden. One thing, though, that you you mentioned that I wanted to kind of tease out a little bit more is that the parents didn't agree with this prosecution and including the mother didn't even testify. Um, maybe it would have had a greater effect if there was a jury trial. But do you think that would have changed anything if she had testified even in this bench trial? Mm, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. I don't think I don't think it changes the, the fact. The facts are pretty clear that there was a short conversation about the you know two minute conversation about whether they should go to the hospital or not, and they chose not to. Um, so if, if that conversation didn't happen, uh, you might have a slight different outlook here. But you know they agreed at the time, and then they weren't up. You know they're obviously upset about the loss of their child, but they weren't blaming uh, the defendant for this, and that's a completely different uh, scenario. Uh, yeah. So I don't think, I don't think it necessarily would have changed things. Um, and, you know, she wasn't called. She didn't testify. But the husband was there. But 
Uh, I think you're so right. I, I think a jury absolutely would have wanted to hear from the mother and probably would have taken any cue from her in coming to a verdict as well. Yeah, you're probably very right. Uh, last question on this, and I ask it because I think it ties into the last case we're going to talk about as well. But this trial demonstrates the difficulty about proving criminal liability where there does not seem to be any obvious criminal intent. What I mean by that is no one argued, uh, and even the judge said this in his closing remarks, no one argued that this you know, self-proclaimed midwife wanted harm to happen to this child, that she, she and everybody else involved wanted to try to save this child. And it just was a tragic event. So you have a case where there's no clear criminal intent and the prosecution has to argue intent by um, the circumstances, by arguing that it's a, a, a lack of care or a negligence or an indifference to the safety of those involved. I'm, I'm, I'm almost answering my own question, but I want you to jump in here. How difficult is that to prove um, in these types of cases where you're asking for criminal liability, not civil liability? Yeah, I think I think these are always the toughest cases. And I've noticed a trend. I don't know if you've seen it as well, but it seems like prosecutors coast to coast getting much more aggressive in pursuing these types of cases where, um, you know, for me, a, a criminal is someone who is, you know, creates that intent that they know they're going to do something wrong. And we have a civil um, system of justice, which deals with people who mess up big time, right? right. You get sued. It's about money. Um, for me, um, I was always a, a prosecutor who looked at cases. I was always more about the intent these yeah. accidental unintentional, negligent related types of criminal prosecutions. If you're going to have them, you're going to have them and you've got to apply it evenly. I think the real problem in our system is, is that's not applied evenly, is that not all accidental things are looked at the same. When a police officer makes a mistake, now we are criminally prosecuting them. Doctors make a mistake. Someone loses their life. We're suing them. Yeah. You're not putting putting cuffs on them. The only way you put cuffs on a doctor, it's got to be so extremely beyond outrageous. But like they're just, you know, a doctor did something wrong and the patient died. We don't cuff up the doctor. But with police officers, they do something wrong. They're getting charged now. They're absolutely getting charged criminally. And and we're seeing a time, not necessarily, the, the, the prosecutors won't necessarily win all those cases, but they're charging them and they're, and, and, you know, we might as well get to the next case because they are winning. No, yeah, I was going to say excellent segue into our next case here, because that's exactly what we're talking about. This is in Fort Worth, Texas, where the uh, former Fort Worth police officer, Aaron Dean, has been convicted of manslaughter for the 2019 shooting that killed Tatiana Jefferson. Dean arrived at the Jefferson residence with another officer after after receiving, and this is important, a non-emergency call from a neighbor regarding an open door at the residence. Dean and the other responding officer who testified against him allegedly did not announce their presence, and Dean fired the fatal shot that killed Jefferson in limited visibility through a window. Jefferson was armed with a gun. However, there was uh, dissenting reports about whether the gun was ever raised or it would have, uh, or if it would have been visible to officers, 
Zion Carr, who was eight years old at the time and in the bedroom with his aunt when she was shot, testified that they had accidentally burned hamburgers earlier in the night. So they opened the doors to air the smoke out of the house. Dean, who was on trial for uh, the charge of murder, was convicted by a Tarrant County jury of a lesser charge of manslaughter for the shooting, which carries a sentence of two to 20 years. Dean's sentencing hearing began today, December 16th, to determine how much time, if any, he will spend behind bars. Um, okay, jump right in, Vinny. What do you make of this verdict? It, like I said, we're still dealing with people who don't have that specific criminal intent. No one is arguing that Dean wanted to kill somebody that evening. Um, what do you think about the verdict and, and the fact that the jurors found him uh, guilty of a, a lesser crime, but still very serious? Oh, it's absolutely serious, uh, but there's a lot of range of a potential sentence here, anything from probation to up to 20 years. Um, the family of the victim outraged afterwards, outraged about what happened. They wanted a yeah. murder conviction. And, you know, there's a couple of different ways to look at all this. Like uh, he did intend to shoot her because he claimed right. self-defense. You know, if you're defending yourself, you believe your life is, is at risk. You're intending to shoot and kill the person you think is going to shoot and kill you. But the jury didn't believe self-defense, yet they still didn't believe it was intentional. So they went to manslaughter. So maybe it was a compromised verdict. Um, this, though, gets to the bigger picture of police officers messing up big time. And when they mess up, people die. Doctors, yeah. when they mess up, people die. But doctors aren't getting cuffed left and right. Police officers are. Um, and I understand this case had the um, additional element of, of, of the belief of some that she was shot because she was black and he was white. Now, I don't know if that's true, um, but I understand how the community uh, believes that and perceives it that way. And I don't know what the numbers are out there. And I'd be interested to see if anyone's done a, a study recently of police shootings and, and racial, cross-racial and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I just don't know what the numbers are. Um, but I do know in this particular case, Tatiana Jefferson shouldn't have died. Uh, this was a, a, a huge mistake. There should undoubtedly be wrongful death liability. Uh, criminal liability, uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with this manslaughter conviction. Um, I'm, I'm always uncomfortable with the murder conviction in a situation like this, because the because of the the mindset, the mens rea, what he's thinking, what he's intending to do. Um, here's the biggest problem, though, when in and it's, and it's a problem because it's it's the way this we are in this country. And I'm not saying it should be different, but it's the way it is. And I don't think it's acknowledged enough uh, by law enforcement. We have a Second Amendment. People in their homes have a right yeah. to defend themselves, a right to have a gun. So. You know, if a if a homeowner hears someone creeping around the side of their house in the middle of the night who has not announced who they are, which he did Correct. not do, we've got right. the body cam footage. If a Tatiana shot and killed the officer, I don't think she should have been prosecuted either for murder because it's a it's a mistake. She thinks there's a burglar out there, someone with a gun. Um, he thinks there's so something going on inside, and 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 the gun may be pointed at him. You know, it, it's it's such a tough call, but I think it's all in the training and the protocol when you are approaching a home, because yeah. in this country, you have an absolute right. Someone breaks into your home, you can shoot and kill them in almost every state. I don't know if there's a state where you can. I know you can in Texas. 
And every Texas police officer should understand that. And the training should reflect that in how you approach a situation like this for the safety of the people inside, but the safety of the police officers. I feel yeah, like yeah. if we don't train them properly in how to deal with this, we're sending them into a very dangerous, dangerous situation. Um, Brianna Taylor was the same thing. You had someone inside who thought the house was being broken into, so he opened fire on the officer. The officer got shot. Brianna Taylor got shot and killed. I don't think either shooting was a crime, but it, it's a situation um, that I think police have to come up with a better way in a country with a Second Amendment. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There, there's no simple answers to any of this, but I, one thing you pointed out, and I think I don't even think we would have had this trial had he announced who he was. I think that really was the most crucial moment of any of this because because jurors and and this is what I was was kind of a turning point to me too is when we heard about that young man's testimony about the reason for the doors being open because that is a suspicious thing and there's no one's faulting the 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 neighbor for calling the police if you are if you're if it's in the middle of the night and you see that your neighbor's doors are wide open you're thinking to yourself oh my god i hope something's not wrong and they're not calling 911 they're not they're, they're just saying hey something suspicious is taking place here the police should come check it out. And the police are doing the right thing by coming to check it out. And it is suspicious that a door is open in the middle of the night. And then you hear this young man testify that they had accidentally burnt the burgers and they were trying to air out the house. And then every single one of those jurors are putting themselves in that exact same situation that we've all found ourselves in, where you 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 burn the meatloaf, you whatever, you're airing out the house. It's an unusual circumstance. And in that situation, she ends up getting shot. And you're right. She sees she hears somebody prowling around outside. She doesn't know who it is. They haven't announced who they are. And she grabs her gun to protect herself and her nephew. And she ends up getting killed. And I think that's how we end up at this verdict is that jurors cannot wrap their heads around even an officer trying to do the right thing an innocent person doing nothing but legal things ending up dead when an officer could have made a, a small difference in their choice and how they proceeded by just announcing who they were and things may have turned out very differently. It's just a tragedy any way you look at it. Um, I had one other question on this. Sentencing in this case is, it, it, explain to us uh, your understanding of this because it's a little different in Texas because we're not in most jurisdictions just purely dealing with the judge here. What are your thoughts on sentencing and the fact that we're going to have this hearing in front of the jurors? Yeah, the, the jury makes the decision. Now, you got to understand this, though. We're in Texas, so it's not a sentencing. This is the punishment phase. You're convicted of a crime. You don't get sentenced. You get punished in Texas. <laughs> right. So they determine, and, and the jury has a lot, a lot of, of range here. They could recommend anything from probation up to 20 years. So I like it because... Um, I, I think it gives the jury an opportunity to really say, okay, a jury of your peers, we found you guilty. This is, and this is what should happen to you. This is what should happen to you. And there isn't the political pressure put on a judge. Um, they do it this way. And sometimes a defendant can do very well or can do very poorly with a jury. And I think it's, it gives the jury all the power, right? Now, obviously, if something is done that's that's inappropriate, a judge can step in and always has the final, final word. 
Uh, but I kind of like the way they do it in Texas. It, it turns into um, really two separate trials when there's a when there's a guilty on the front end, and it's it's really up to the people of the community to decide how someone should be punished for what they have found that the defendant did. Um, not everybody likes it. Not everybody likes it. Um, and and I think a lot of times there'll be a lot of discrepancy between what a judge would do and what a jury would do. But I like that it's a jury because it's a plurality of people. It's not one person deciding the punishment in the case. So I'm all for it. I, I, I think it's great. And, the, and I think it works in Texas. Give us your your predictions, given the fact that a lot of people are looking at this verdict as kind of a they're calling it a compromised verdict where, you know, people wanted to hold him responsible, but they're not going to hold him responsible for murder. So they try to find this kind of in between ground. Do you think that that kind of spells something out in the in the way of the punishment phase that we're now looking at with these jurors? Yeah, I think it'll be, you know, definitely under 10. You're not going up to the max of 20. I think it really starts at 10 and can be anywhere there lower. The way this community has been described to me is that uh, Fort Worth area is very pro-law enforcement, very supportive of law enforcement. Um, so that tends to me make it a little bit less. I don't think he's going to get straight probation. I think he'll get uh, some term of years less than 10, um, maybe closer to five is, is yeah. where I think this jury may land. Uh, but we'll see. You know, jurors surprise us all the time. Yeah. All the time they surprise yeah. us. And as much as we analyze and pick apart and try to figure it out, uh, once they get in that room, the other part that I love about our system, they're in charge. They're yeah. in charge. So they'll make the decision. But I, I think somewhere around five is where they'll end up. And to me, that sounds kind of right under the, under the circumstances. Again, getting back to what I what I look at in the criminal cases, which is the mindset, the mens rea, right? Clear dereliction of duty, but um, was it premeditated, planned, plotted? Was there evil intent? Uh, there's there's none of that. There's none yeah. of that. But and there and and, and, there, and there's and there's no criminal history here either, right? I mean, they, I imagine exactly. you can become a, a, a police officer in Fort Worth if you've got a long criminal record. So they're not going to hear about a person who's, you know, committed all sorts of crimes before in the past. And now that you're really asking to drop the hammer on them, you're, you're talking about a law abiding person who's trying to do the right thing that night. I think everybody uh, uh, believes uh, made some big mistakes. And I think you're right. I think there you have a dead innocent person on one hand and and there has to be accountability and on the other hand you have a person that that doesn't have that criminal mens rea and you i think you might be right jurors do surprise us and so we're pro both probably going to be eating our words but i think you're probably right that around five years is what i would expect as well uh Vinny, thank you so much for coming on this week where can people find out more about you uh, well, you can go to uh, Vinnie Politan Court TV on Facebook. You can go to Vinnie Politan One on YouTube. I just started a brand new YouTube channel. Oh, like, good. From scratch. So you can get in on the ground floor. Please just subscribe <laughs> at Vinnie Politan One, uh, but Facebook every day. And of course, every night on my show on Court TV, you can go to courttv.com to find out how you can watch it in your uh, city. Fantastic. And I'm your host, Josh Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ and at JoshuaRitter.com. 
And I just wanted to take a moment to express how grateful we are to everyone listening and watching. As we said, this is uh, at the beginning, this is our 50th episode of The Sidebar. None of this would have been possible without all of you loyal listeners and viewers. So thank you so very much. I also wanted to thank uh, the guests that we've had on over these past 50 episodes, yourself included, Vinny, and the entire TCD family for all the hard work of making this possible. So please continue to comment, like, and subscribe. And as always, if you have questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your questions with the hashtag TCD Sidebar. And thank you for joining us at the True Crime Daily Sidebar. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.